0: Hello there, howdy, welcome to another episode of The Casual Criminalist. As always, I'm your host, Simon. What happens here is, uh, if you're new, welcome, by the way, this explanation's for you. Callum, our wonderful scriptwriter for the channel, has written me a script. It's a heavy one. I think this is, like, 18 pages. So we're gonna be here for a while. This will probably be recorded in two parts, but you won't know the difference. I just need to take a little break halfway through and top up my coffee. Uh, you won't know when that happens. Why are we talking about this? This is the disappearance of Nicholas Barkley. I have, uh... As I say, if you're new here, I've got no idea what's about to happen. I've not read this ahead of time. I'm going to read it. I'm going to add some commentary if I uh, if I feel like it, I guess. And then afterwards, Jen Hi. is going to add some music, add some images, which you can enjoy if you're watching this on YouTube or if you're listening as a podcast and you're out and about or whatever. Well, just enjoy and let's jump in. on june the 10th 1994 13 year old nicholas bradley took a walk down to the basketball courts to meet his friends in san antonio texas he and his friends played for a while until sunset came and they each peeled off one by one leaving just nicholas left it's like the beginning of a movie isn't it the sole guy playing basketball on the basketball court he decided to call home from the payphone next to the courts to ask oh yes this is 1994 I'm like what's he doing with a payphone (laughs) they just removed maybe like six months ago the payphone that was on my street and I'd walked past it a million times never even give it a second thought and I'm like why is the pavement here weird it was like not horribly you know dirty and well trodden like the rest of the pavements I'm like oh there was a payphone here wasn't there and now it's gone there you go the future is here difficult to see always emotion is the future uh, he wanted to lift home rather than walking home alone His 24 year old half-brother jason answered and scolded him for calling at that hour Their mother beverly was asleep preparing for the graveyard shift at dunking donuts where she worked seven days a week oh my god that is harsh working seven days a week is that even legal can you make someone like if you're like a minimum wage employee or a low wage employee at dunking donuts they can't force you to work seven days a week right or can you even if you volunteer is that allowed that doesn't sound right. And if it's like, yeah, 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 she had to volunteer because not because she loves it, but because she needs the money. And uh, well, that that's just equally f-ed up, isn't it? The courts were only about a mile and a half from their home, so Jason, not wanting to wake the mother up by starting his car, told his little brother to walk. Little did he know that the implications of that decision would change all of their lives forever. Uh, I'm assuming like he's going to get kidnapped and murdered or something like that, because of course you're listening to the casual criminal, it's not enjoyable stories about basketball, and I bet, what was his name? Jason is going to give himself a super hard time about this, but I have to say, honestly, I don't know if I would like if that is what would happen i'd be like well obviously i didn't know he was going to get kidnapped i'm trying to be thoughtful about my mum who's sleeping and trying to support us i think i'm just such a coldly logical bastard that i'd be like well yeah i mean i see how my actions led to this but there was no intent there's no way i could possibly know and i was like well the chance of him getting murdered are basically zero and it or 0.001 God, I'm a real dick, aren't I? Maybe if... I, I've obviously not been in this situation. Maybe if I was, I'd feel differently. I'd be like, oh, no years of therapy lie ahead. But I don't know. <laughs> Such a dick. That was the last time anyone would speak to Nicholas. Somewhere between those basketball courts and his house, he went missing. Now, it wasn't particularly unusual for this teenager to disappear for a few days. Nicholas had a rebellious streak in him. He would often have explosive fights with his mother and then disappear for a day or two. There's actually... I feel... Like, <laughs> sorry to interrupt... Again, but I i wasn't a particularly rebellious teenager. But I remember whenever I had a fight with my parents, we lived in like the countryside or right? a small village. It's like, where am I going to go? Never see this place again. It's like the, the idea that I could disappear for a day or two is just like insane to me. It was like, nah, I'd just go off to my room and sulk for a few hours. And then I didn't have a, it, it was before laptops and stuff or phone, you know, smartphones. I didn't have a TV in my room. So I'd just get bored in my room after about an hour and be like, okay guess i'm gonna have to go downstairs and apologize so i can actually do something other than just sit in my room (laughs) thank you for that fascinating story simon why don't you just carry on reading the script eh? is what everyone's thinking That's actually why Beverly asked her grown son Jason to move in with him in the first place to help bring Nicholas under control. Sometimes the renegade teen would return with a new tattoo. He or he had three already because he was far cooler than any of us at 13. He was 13? Where can he legally I mean I guess there's like dodgy tattoo parlours but if you're giving 13 year olds tattoos stop it please. Sometimes the cops would drag him back home with a shiny new charge on his juvenile criminal record some highlights include convictions for threatening teachers breaking and entering into a convenience store and stealing a pair of shoes actually he was due for a court appearance on the 14th of that month for the last of those crimes where the judge would decide whether or not to dumping into a group home for young offenders he does seem to need something to change in his life doesn't he i mean i guess he's been in trouble before and his record or like the lighter punishments haven't done anything although again you're like wait if he goes into this home with young offenders isn't he just going to become a better criminal look i don't know this isn't the problem this isn't the episode where we solve the u.s justice system that's coming next week not really it's enormously complicated At first, it would seem like Nicholas might have been lashing out against that possibility by going AWOL, but if so, why didn't he pack a bag of clothes and cash like usual, and his stints on the streets usually lasted about 48 hours maximum before he would knock on the door with his tail between his legs. This time, three days passed, and Nicholas still hadn't reappeared. That's when his mother reported him missing, but unfortunately, Nicholas had run away so much that the police barely took her worries seriously. Uh, in this case, um can't really blame the like normally in casual criminals we get pretty we get into blaming the police pretty fast for being like lazy and not doing their jobs but in this case it's like it's a boy who caught cried wolf situation isn't it as you if you're you know running off all the time and you run off for a day longer no one's gonna look for you for a little while are they if it starts being like yeah no he's been missing three weeks and then the police aren't doing anything i'll be like come on police come on he's 13 do something the police barely took a worry seriously beverly was the mother who cried wolf oh my god sometimes i don't read these ahead i don't read these ahead between her own past struggle with heroin addiction nicholas's petty crime and jason's explosive cocaine-fueled temper the cops had been called out to the house plenty of times before as far as they were concerned this lot were just plain dysfunctional so they never really took the missing person report seriously they were convinced that the teenager was just shirking away from his problems so much so that the story never even made the local news but soon it became clear that this wasn't just another routine tantrum from nicholas he really was gone and nobody had any idea where he shouldn't have been hard to spot wearing purple trousers and a pink backpack but there wasn't a single sighting of him anywhere in the city days turned into weeks which turned into months without any sign of where he had gotten to meanwhile his brother relapsed into his cocaine addiction unable to handle the guilt that september if only had the constitution of simon doesn't give a that september he called the police to report what he thought was nicholas trying to break into the family's garage but the cops were unable to verify the sighting or any signs of an attempted break-in that was the last report connected to the case For years, Beverly, too, relapsed into drug abuse as she struggled to cope with not knowing what happened to her youngest child. As the years wore on, any hope of finding him alive evaporated. Until one day, three years later, Nicholas turned up in the least likely of places. Wait, I thought we said this is the last time anyone would ever- Oh, speak to him. Cause he's dead. They found his body, haven't they? That's depressing. Coming to America in October 1997 the San Antonio Police Department received a call from Spain it was a policeman from the city of Linares maybe in Andalusia earlier this earlier that week a young man had been found wandering around the city distraught and was taken to a local youth shelter what hang on didn't we say that this was the last time uh oh i'm sorry i must have been confusing this with another casual criminalist script because often that is a line but it was uh, that decision would change their lives forever so apologies maybe he's not dead maybe he's in spain somehow which is like what (laughs) how did you cross the atlantic you're 13 years old i'm assuming you don't have a ton of money um okay let's see the boy was dazed and distraught. When the authorities quizzed him on his identity, he seemed to barely even remember who he was. Eventually they managed to get a name and birthplace from him. The young man had been found halfway across the world was Nicholas Barkley of Texas. What the hell was a missing American child doing lost in a city 5000 miles away, you ask? Well apparently he had been kidnapped and trafficked all the way across the Atlantic. 1994, so this was 3 years later. This is crazy. I I can't believe it's this simple mostly because there's a good 16 pages left in today's script but I mean what is the explanation the San Antonio cops got on the phone to his 31 year old half sister Carrie Beverly's older child from a previous marriage she was in turn given the number of the youth hostel and had the privilege of being the first one to hear Nikki's voice after all this time my god Nikki is that you a long pause then a muffled voice came on the other end yes it's me cue the swelling orchestral music and a single manly tear um heartwarming stuff really carrie herself couldn't quite believe it by now everyone had given hope of given up hope of finding nicholas and now he had just reappeared as suddenly as he went away three years ago truly miraculous i am uh i'm gonna say just the way callum's like phrasing this that uh this isn't truly miraculous maybe it's not him maybe it's some sort of con although why there'd be a con because there doesn't seem to be any money who knows but it's probably not that simple is it but it wasn't all rosy over in Spain Nicholas's time in Europe was less gap year and more total nightmare yeah I mean you don't get kidnapped to a gap year do you (laughs) it's like I did a gap year it was a blast it was like the opposite of kidnapping it was just a year of fun whose idea is like yeah yeah, i don't know if this is an american thing but it's absolutely a british thing like gap years it's like i did mine after university but a lot of people do it before university so you're like 18 or 21 around that kind of age which at the time i was like whoa that's a huge age difference but in reality it's it's not now that i'm 34 and why am i talking about gap year i was just saying it's a lot of fun and in the uk it's quite popular and uh, it's the opposite of being kidnapped it's just like a year-long holiday it's brilliant i'd recommend it if you if you're young and listening to this do it i was like i didn't take it originally because i was just super keen to get to university and get on with it but it was it was great it was great while carrie prepared to travel overseas for the first time in her life to go and collect her little brother the spanish authorities warned her that the boy was still quite traumatized from his experiences nikki told them that he'd been abducted from the states by people from the military and sold into sex slavery in the service of european military personnel this is sounding like i mean this sounds um okay color me skeptical all right he was only able to escape his captors when one of the guards accidentally left a door unlocked, which is how he found himself wandering around an unfamiliar city in Andalusia. Andalusia? Andalusia? I'm not sure. I feel like I definitely know the name of this place, but I'm not exactly sure. Andalusia? I don't know why I did it in Italian, but I wanted to do Spanish. No, senor. No habla Americano carrie was gifted money by her employer to pay for the trip that would finally bring the traumatized young man home and touch down in spain in the second week of october they were all set for a happy reunion however when carrie reached the youth shelter her little brother was apparently overcome with nerves he locked himself in the toilet and refused to come out this is all very suspicious like something suspect is going on that kind of i mean maybe it's like a different person who's like trying to uh, what's the motivation though like take his life take his place in his life he's like 16 though he's got no money his family don't have any money what what's the motivation that kind of erratic evasive behavior was characteristic of the new nicholas but after three years of horrific imprisonment who could blame him after a while collecting himself in the bathroom nicholas eventually worked up the courage to reunite with his sister and open the door he was older looking now dressed in a baseball cap and thick layers of clothing but there was no doubt in carrie's mind it really was her brother okay well uh then i think the odds of it being an imposter are much lower because i mean three years is a long time from like 14 to 16. Uh, Simon, where's your maths at? 13 to 16. But it's still, I mean, you should be recognisable. While they got reacquainted, she tried her best to make her little brother comfortable, flicking through family picture albums to remind him of better times. It seemed like he was a million miles away, struggling to reconnect with his old life. So one by one, she went through the people and places in the pictures, hoping for a response. But Nicholas barely said a word. The poor kid had retreated into himself, hanging his head low under the visor of his cap. It took hours before he finally started to warm up, asking... Is grandpa still an asshole that night Carrie rang home to let others know how she'd met up with Nicholas it really was him safe and sound and he would be coming home soon all that was left now was to get him on a plane so that he could continue his recovery with the love and support of his family Carrie signed off on all the documents needed to get a little brother a fresh U.S passport and they boarded a plane back to Texas the very next day Now, just before we continue with the rest of today's episode, let me thank today's fantastic sponsor, Raycon. There's so much going on in the world, whether it's stuff you're excited about or stuff you'd rather not think about. You can always control the vibes out there. Yeah, that's, this is true. Like, I don't know. I'll be going to work and it's like, oh my God, I got to do that today. But then I'll pop on some music and you're just like, yeah, let's get it going. Listen to some good playlists, you know, that I've put together. I got like my pump me up playlist or also chill out playlist, all that good stuff. I'm not sure if I can say what service I use to listen to music, but uh, it's the big one. And uh, yeah, you just listen to those tunes and it really does like, uh, gives you a different feeling, doesn't it? Raycon's new everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. They've got an improved rubber oil look and feel, uh, which is very nice. I mean, it's just like—it's a very solid, professional—not like, not professional, but like uh, high quality. I think is the word I'm looking for. A pair of headphones that just that just look and feel great. Also, comes with the the new ones come with three new sound profiles to make sure that everything you're listening to sounds its ba- best with just the right amount of bass. Yeah, I'm someone like I. Don't mind bass, but it's not the primary thing I want in music. I like a really crisp, like, top ends, the treble. I like that, so being able to control that, it's very nice. There's also awareness mode, so you can uh, listen to your surroundings instead. I live in a city, so uh, you don't want to be, uh, you know, not having that on <laughs> while you're walking around, or you will get hit by a bus. Raycons offer 8 hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. They also start at half the price of other premium audio brands, but they sound just as good, and they come with a 45-day happiness guarantee. Right now, Casual Criminalist listeners, that's you guys, can get 50% off their Raycon order at buyraycon.com slash casual. That's buyraycon.com slash casual. Save 15% on Raycons. buyraycon.com slash casual. And, uh, let's get back to today's show, shall we? Thank you to Raycon. Bonjour, fellow kids. It's impossible to imagine the sort of joy Beverly must have felt when she was reunited with her child after all that time. Wait, hang on. Is he trying to blag himself like American citizenship? Is it? Because, I mean, it's super complicated and people are like, yeah, America, I want to move there. But it's basically, you know, unless you're like super skilled or something, or like, you can't just move to america is he is this is is this is it doesn't i mean it's not like he's trying to get out of like cambodia in the 1990s he's trying to get out of spain it's not that bad a family member captured the magic moment on video when the family uh, when the family gathered to greet him at the airport. Not a dry eye in the house, as you'd expect. Everyone was over the moon to have him back. Nicholas went to live in Carrie and her husband's trailer house in Spring Branch, a remote forested area, about thirty-five miles out of San Antonio. They had already set up a mattress in their own son's bedroom and gathered some of Nicholas's old toys, baseball cards, and clothes. But they tried to give him everything he would need to reacclimatize the life he'd left behind three years before. But even in an old familiar environment, the road to recovery would be long according to nicholas the men who held him captive those three years had beaten him regularly sexually abused him and punishment punished him if he ever spoke english which would explain why he seemed frencher he is an imposter isn't he it's like those three years i mean i said it like you can't tell you know you would be able to tell if it's the same person between 13 and 16. But I mean, also, that's like a 16 year old is like you can look, you know, you can have a deep voice and drive a car in America at 16 and a 13 year old's just barely in secondary school. So I guess it could be an imposter. It's probably an imposter. That's my vibe right now. Yes, this Texan teenager now spoke with a straw-fresh accent and European speech patterns as a result of being forced to speak the language for three straight years. Not only did the kidnappers strip him of his language and identity, they also subjected him to sadistic medical experiments. Chemicals were dripped into his eyes, which ended up staining them from bright blue to dark brown. It was horrifying stuff. Uh, uh, uh. I, I, alarm bells should be maximum level ringing now guys i don't know what his motivation is maybe it is just going to america but this is a different dude these experiments accounted for the slight difference in his hair color too as his bleached hair started to grow out nicholas's roots showed up dark brown rather than the bright brownish blonde that he used to have now not all the damage was so superficial nicholas suffered from emotional problems while reacclimatizing, and several episodes of self-harm he was assigned a psychiatrist to help him with readjustments and after a while he was ready to jump back into his life as an all-american teenager a month or so after his return he had a new group of friends and even a crush on a girl in his class he dedicated himself to his homework more than ever and even joined the family to church on sunday where they thanked the lord for giving them this impossibly happy ending to their nightmare until and i can absolutely guess what's happened next everyone listening has got to be on the same page with me right this guy is absolutely 100 percent imposter if it turns out any other way even though i know there are like a bunch of pages left it's imposter right i don't know what the story about behind it is but it is a smooth criminal About one month after his return to the US, tabloid TV show Hard Copy caught wind of this unbelievable story and attempted to score an interview with the Miracle Child. The producers hired a San Antonio private investigator named Charlie Parker to track the kid down to that secluded trailer park outside of the city soon a production assistant was banging on the door of carrie's trailer with a camera crew at her heels being the protective motherly sort, though carrie initially warned wanted to turn them away for the sake of nicholas's mental health it was actually the kid who gave them the go-ahead uh-oh. uh-oh assuming you're a criminal um and that you have you know stolen some dude's identity let's add this to the list of uh things not to do along with don't write down your crimes don't get involved in a documentary about your crimes okay. Maybe that one's even happened before. There was the dude who, uh, we've not made an episode about it yet, but, uh, there's the dude who was on that TV show. Goddamn, he just got convicted of murder and his name totally escapes me. Oh, so does the name of the documentary. <laughs> Brilliant work, Simon. There was the dude, he's a super famous property millionaire in the United States, and he said on a TV show that he murdered. He was like, you know, he was mic'd up, he had a hot mic, and he didn't realise, and he said, I killed them all, of course. <laughs> it's like oh my God and he just got convicted of murder um I feel his name was Richard car come on Simon you could do better than this doesn't matter he was happy for the chance to tell his story in front of a camera so the production team set up their lights and cameras in the family's front room the PI watched on from the sidelines as Nicholas relayed his story he was as calm as a cucumber no looking down no body language none like everyone else, he was struck by the strange French flair that the young Texan had picked up during his time in captivity. Trauma can do some crazy things to a person's mind. Then he caught sight of a picture picture of pre-disappearance Nicholas sitting on the table next to him. It really was quite incredible how different he looked now. Quite incredible indeed. <laughs> it's because he's a different guy. Parker had a sudden brainwave. He leaned over close to one of the cameramen and whispered, Zoom in on the ears. Get them as close as you can. Bit of a weird request, but the cameraman obliged as the kid's harrowing story was wrapping up, Parker slid the Polaroid from the table into his pocket. Back at the office, he scanned the image into his computer and loaded it up next to a freeze frame from the hard copy interview. Just as he suspected, the ears were close, but they didn't match so what right well apparently this is a much bigger deal than it sounds because each person's particular ear shape is about as unique as their fingerprints wow i didn't know that that's crazy so when the pi looked at the two images side by side he was convinced that it was not the same person what a surprise you doing an interview slash documentary about your crimes is uh is you're gonna get in trouble it's probably why you're on the casual criminalist rather than heartwarming story about boy coming to america after kidnapping he wasn't the only one who had these concerns nicholas the psychiatrist expressed confusion when the young boy was brought to him at the fact that he couldn't spe- the fact that he couldn't break out of his french accent he was literally incapable of slipping back into a texan drawl the psychiatrist knew that no matter how long he had been forced to speak french it was inconceivable that nicholas would lose the capability to speak the way he did for the first 13 years of his life pi parker confirmed the same thing with a dialect expert at trinity university even the boy's own uncle thought the same thing something was off about this new version of his nephew but his mother beverly defended him against the insinuations she said that he was just traumatized the poor kid had been through so much and now his own uncle was rejecting him beverly uh i mean i'm sure someone's going to explain this to you at some point in today's story but you're the one who's traumatized and can't accept the loss of your child which is why you're desperately clinging on to something which seems to be patently false at this point, Beverly was set up in a small one-room studio apartment in San Antonio. Parker made a habit of waiting on the street on the days when Nicholas would visit and tailing him down the street. For a young renegade from the mean streets of San Antonio, his behavior was odd. He would walk all the way to the bus stop wearing his Walkman and doing his Michael Jackson moves. The more he saw, the more the question hung on the PI's mind day and night. If this teen wasn't Nicholas Barkley then who was he suddenly it all made sense the French accent with a slight North African twinge the infiltration of an American family this was no ordinary child oh my God it's a terrorist Parker thought to himself what okay I was immediately feeling like it's some slick con man who was in you know he'd been playing some games in Europe he'd been stealing jewels but I have to say terrorist is uh, not where I saw this going. But there we have it. A deceptive, dangerous, disco-dancing terrorist, and in parenthesis here, the worst kind of all. No, that's not the worst kind of terrorist. <laughs> there are worst kinds. I mean, but all terrorists are bad. Just to make that 100% clear. Don't want to discriminate. Parker took his concerns to the FBI, who had already received a concerned call from the boy's psychiatrist earlier that month. Meanwhile, Nicholas's mental state seemed to be unraveling even further. He stopped attending school, and in December he stole Carrie's family car and went on a joyride to Oklahoma, blasting Michael Jackson songs out of the window. After being arrested for speeding and brought back home again, Ah, wait, hang on. He's been arrested multiple times previously, right? So they're going to have his fingerprints. When he gets arrested again, aren't they going to take his fingerprints and they're not going to match up? that seems like fairly foolproof his carers found him slicing his own face with a razor in the bathroom holy nicholas was committed to a psychiatric ward for a few days before being released back into the care of carrie and her husband who were desperate to help her little brother overcome his demons but then a more pressing problem cropped up an fbi investigator called nancy fisher who had interviewed nicholas about his kidnapping not long after his return uh, returns with some questions from the outset his wild story of a pizzagate style international military conspiracy made us suspicious yeah how on earth does this guy get back into the into the united states back into the united states in uh, quotes there uh with this kind of crazy ass story and no one's looking into this first before it feels like a, some time has gone by right Now, she was asking Beverly for permission to carry out a DNA test. Beverly is going to deny it because she is in denial. How dare you say he's not my son, here we go, she told them. Beverly resisted the FBI at every turn, terrified that they were going to take her son away from her again. Well, if they find the DNA test and it proves to be your son, no problem. Carry on. If he's not your son, though, your world is about to fall apart. Then in February 1998, Agent Fisher returned with federal warrants for his fingerprints and a blood sample. He was arrested though can't they just take the fingerprints then i mean i, I in america you go there and they take your fingerprints at the airport <laughs> now he thought days later the private investigator charlie parker according to the new yorker received the phone call that he had been waiting on for weeks it was beverly after parker hung up the phone he arranged a meeting with young nicholas at a diner in san antonio as they sat down parker told the young man that he had upset his mother to which he replied She's not my mother, and you know it. <laughs> you're going to tell me who you are, and they asked. I'm Frédéric Boudin, and I'm wanted by Interpol. Holy <laughs> I have to say, my man, like, if I were you, I mean, you're wanted by Interpol. Is America really the place you want to go? I mean, as much as we rag on the cops, the FBI do see, I mean, usually it's local cops not doing their jobs properly. The FBI, judging by casual criminals so far, and television and movies and news seem to be really quite competent are you sure you want to go to a country with such competent police why not go to some country where the police don't work or can be bribed like we mentioned cambodia already that seems like a place where bribery might still be a part is i mean maybe not in the 1990s don't go to cambodia when was uh, when was that uh, cambodia's genocide i don't know i can't remember the dates look this is not important this is way too long of an aside but uh why did you go to america that's how Beverly finally discovered the truth. She was faced with irrefutable evidence that her beloved teenage son was actually a 24 year old French dude. You could have guessed. Can you imagine me 24 and having to go to school with like a bunch of 16 year olds? There's some, uh, what's that TV show? Um, 21 Jump Street. That's some 21 Jump Street shit right there. Invasion of Le Body Snatchers. So, but why? you asked did some random french dude decide to take the place of a missing child why did he pick that specific kid and how in the hell did he actually manage to pull it off for four months yes all very important questions which i imagine we're going to get answers to brilliant the answers are a thousand times more mental than you could even imagine now i'm excited let's go even imagine is he a terrorist is he actually a terrorist and he's wanted by interball and i can't even guess what craziness it's going to be so as people, I'm sure, are screaming in there in a the monologues, Read the Script, Simon. See, this was no ordinary Frenchman who had infiltrated the life of the missing teenager. It was Frédéric Bondon, otherwise known as the Chameleon. No, he wasn't a terrorist. He was just a weird, lonely guy whose entire life... Was a lie. This half Algerian con man had spent the better half of his life moving from deception to deception, impersonating hundreds of children across Europe. He had pulled similar tricks in Belgium, Spain, Bosnia, Germany, Ireland, England, Italy, Luxembourg, Switzerland, Portugal, Austria, Slovakia, Denmark, France, and Sweden. Take a breath. Honestly, after all that, you'd think that this master of deception would be a tad better at accents. Or he managed it for four months, telling people that no, the French accent is just a consequence of my uh, captivity by a paedophile uh, military complex in uh, Europe. Why is my French accent become so bad? I mean, become so bad. Honestly, respect for like that what you pulled off for four months—that's mental. By the time he took on the life of Nicholas Barkley, his fake identities were well into the triple digits. However, this was the first time that he picked a real missing person to take the place of. But as a grown adult sitting there listening to the show, you're probably wondering, why being a teenager is categorically awful so it seems bizarre that a grown man would want to stay in that world for his entire life and amazingly it wasn't some weird sex thing a prosecutor in spain once said of him in my 22 years on the job i've never seen a case like it usually people con for money his profit seems to have been purely emotional i mean this dude seems like a bit i mean he's definitely weird so i mean this is why we couldn't guess it right because you're like okay if it's a con it's got to be about money right or something like that we had the passports does he just want to go to america for some reason like what's up and it's just like no 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 he's just weird i mean those are always the, the ones where it's impossible to guess it's like why did he cut his face off oh because he's weird just just a weirdo okay yes the chameleon was apparently just desperate for affection he grew up addicted to the feeling of being brought in for the call co- from the cold and cared for which is fine until about the age of 13 i guess but it gets extremely creepy once you're a grown-ass man yourself, yes it does. After being abandoned by his father and growing up as an outcast, Bourdon started creating fantasy lives for himself for attention in his teens he started rocking up to new towns pretending to be a lost child and then seeing how far he could take the lie until he was caught or he confessed things got harder as he became a man especially since he isn't exactly what you would typically call youthful looking but if he wore the right clothes made his voice a little bit higher and put on a nervous and naive act he could pass well enough for a gawky 13 to 15 year old albeit one who hit puberty like a freight train look i've seen 21 drum street i mean not the tv show that was well before my time or maybe it wasn't but it just wasn't on my radar but i saw that movie with with jonah hill and uh the other dude and i mean i know it's a movie but those dudes looked like they were 30. (laughs) As he turned his need for attention into a full-blown lifestyle, Badon's techniques became more sophisticated too. After years of practice, he could slip into a new identity the way the rest of us change clothes. He would start by priming the local cops for the discovery by calling them to report seeing a distraught child wandering around town. Of course, when the authorities came to investigate, that child was actually him. Freshly shaven, crying, pretending to be lost and scared as he grew more confident but on started investigating missing orphans and taking on the identities of this real of these real people that's a mega douche move because then you're gonna give false hope to people like beverly and it's like okay this is kind of i don't want to say fun because obviously you're exploiting people still but you're really ratcheting up that level of exploitation when you're pretending to be someone's dead child you're ratcheting it up to the level of you know uh kind of not the best person to absolute piece of sh- it's a big jump, isn't it? Just like that, he moved between hostels and juvenile care facilities all over Europe. He, he, that was genuinely how he survived in the world as a grown adult man. I am a manipulator. My job is to manipulate. It's a quote from him, by the way. Which all brings us to Spain. In 1997, by then, Bourdon was wanted by Interpol for lying to the police, and youth organizations across the continent have been warned about the serial conman's techniques. In fact, he had already achieved a kind of minor celebrity status in France. <laughs> Not exactly what you want when your job is deceiving people, because you're like, oh yeah, yeah, you're the deceptive guy, the guy who cheats the- oh, I see, I see, I see no. So when he tried his old tricks in the town of Linnar, the child welfare magistrate covering his lost child case wasn't having any of his nonsense. Before him, he saw a 24-year-old man in child's clothing, like when they cast full-grown adults in a high school drama show. Yeah, that's another funny one, isn't it? I mean, we make fun of 21 Jump Street, but at least they're like, yeah, yeah, we know they're older. But every other high school show is like, what's this guy who's like 27 doing playing a 16-year-old? <laughs> it's a bit weird. I mean, I know because the 16-year-old's in school and stuff, but still so when this lost child was found quivering in the town square he was given 24 hours to reveal his identity or she would have him taken to the police station and have his fingerprints taken that would be disastrous for the 24 year old con man whose prints were already on file He decided to run away from the youth home but was caught in the act now the staff were watching his every move locked down with his back to the wall but always forced to pull off his most daring deception yet while lying awake at night the notion struck him that if he were to break from his usual habits and impersonate an american the judge might be more inclined to let him off the hook no judge wants to ruffle the feathers of the u.s embassy right so he hopped out of bed and snuck into the office room where He rang the national center for missing and exploited children over in virginia that is clever i mean you're prepping it aren't you in his best spanish accent he claimed to be the director of the very children's shelter that he was interred in pretty clever because they can i assume look up the number that called in and it's gonna match up he told them they had a young boy with them who wouldn't reveal his name but spoke english like an american of course the physical description he gave was of himself And just like that the well-meaning hotline operator became his unwitting personal shopper picking out the new identity which best suited his own appearance she ran all the details through her database and landed on a potential match one nicholas barkley a teenager who went missing in san antonio three years prior but on now had a new name for himself wait but how what what i feel like when you talk about identifying a person like eye color hair color fairly high up the list aren't these the two things that were different about him so what was she putting into this system the con man needed more information if he was going to pull off such an audacious transcontinental crime he asked the operator to fax over a copy of the boy's missing person poster for comparison and also to send a copy via overnight mail that's going to be expensive like overnighting mail from virginia to spain in the 90s it's expensive i've had parcels overnighted for sponsorship spots and stuff one of them it was four hundred dollars i'm like oh i didn't pay for it but i'm like oh my god (laughs) okay it's like way more expensive than the contents of the parcel but it was one day it was in detroit the next day it was in my studio crazy after hanging up the phone, Bourdon had a nervous wait. If someone came down and caught him in the act, it'd have blown his last chance at freedom. He peered down the corridor, through the crack in the door, and was startled to see the fax machine whirring into action. It spewed out a low-res, black-and-white image of a young boy. Not a bad likeness for himself, Bourdain thought if he squinted, styled his hair and wrapped himself up in enough layers. On second thought, he looked fuck all cool like the kid. <laughs> but time was running short, so it would just have to do. on rang back the missing kids hotline in Virginia and said, I have some good news, Nicholas Barkley is standing right beside me. There was no going back now. Buton then received the number for the San Antonio Police Department, and he called up, this time pretending to be a Spanish cop. This is like some catch me if you can sh- it's brilliant using the details from the missing persons poster he convinced them that they had really found the young man who had went missing three years ago after that news spread to the fbi and the u.s embassy in madrid everyone was prepared for a joyous heart-melting reunion between mother and child everybody except for Baudon. it wasn't until the next morning that he realized just how unprepared he actually was the con man waited one of the, but he still got away with it for four months this guy is some catch me if you can absolute I mean, he's a dick because of the, like, pretending to be the dead kid thing. But you can't deny it. It's, uh, it's pretty, pretty good. It's also nice that, oh no, the guy, the kid did disappear, isn't it? I'm like, wow, this one feels a bit more lighthearted than I remember that this is all based around the disappearance of a child. Which is, uh, you know, depressing. But hey, you didn't tune into the Casual Criminalist for joy, did you? the con man waited by the front door to intercept the full-size copy of nicholas barclay's missing person poster in the mail he ripped open the package and started sweating it was worse than he thought now that he could read the text of the poster and the picture was in full color he thought there was absolutely no way that he could pull it off the young boy's blondish brown hair was plain to see his own was a distinctly darker shade okay so they said brown hair to run it through the system even though I mean obviously there's different types of brown even worse apparently this little 13 year old was already heavily tatted up most of the missing tattoos could be hidden but not the letter T between his right index finger and thumb all know that he only had a matter of hours to completely edit his appearance to match. That's okay, I mean, just draw it on with pen, roughly, and then get it tattooed later. After burning the flyer, he bleached his own hair in the bathroom, I'm assuming using the regular kind that you'd use to clean a toilet, and enlisted the help of a friend at this. That is. With that, I guess that would work. It's gonna look weird and messy, though. And enlisted the help of a friend at the shelter for an emergency tattooing. With a needle and pen ink, much like how. The real nicholas had received it from his mates at school barclay's friend recreated the missing boy's distinctive marking on his hand now stinking of bleach with blood dripping down oh that also explains how he got the tattoos even though he's 13. they were homemade tattoos which is uh that's some prison kind of messed up now stinking of bleach with blood dripping down his knuckles there was a chance he might be able to pass for the missing boy however there was one last crucial hurdle to overcome their eyes didn't match how the hell can you change your eyes without contact lenses can you bleach eyes would food coloring work and just a psa for those listening at home no for the love of god don't try those things i don't feel we need to say it but do not put bleach in your eyes okay all of that probably rattled around bourdon's head as he watched the clock ticking on towards his date with destiny in the end he settled on a far more stupid solution yes more stupid than pouring bleach in your eyes rather than just impersonate the missing child he would have to write up a completely fictional chapter in the boy's life bro you're gonna have to write up a completely fictional chapter in the boy's life anyway because it's like well how did this guy who's american become a french child in spain in spanish Boys' prison. I mean, come on. (laughs) So, of course, that's how he came up with the idea of an international pedophile conspiracy of government and military officials who perform experiments on hundreds of kidnapped children from around the world, as if that actually made him more credible. This sounds like the sort of thing a thirteen-year-old would come up with, not a twenty-four-year-old man. Although Pizzagate was a thing, so apparently we're all just idiots. That was the final piece of the puzzle that allowed him to slip through the fingers of the Spanish magistrate and into the warm and loving arms. Of a Texan family. Later that day the phone rang in the office, and Bordon was there to answer it. My God, Nicky, is that you? A long pause, then in a muffled voice. Yes, it's me. The unmasking of Frederick Bordon It really was that simple for 24-year-old Frenchman Frédéric Bourdon to slip into the identity of our missing teenager. But then you have to wonder, how the hell did he manage to stay in character? After all, he had none of the information needed to keep the con going for very long. So what he did was start gathering little pieces here and there when carrie brought the photo album over to spain he played the traumatized amnesiac victim long enough to have her feed him all the information about his new relatives that he needed to get started this information was crucial in getting him out of the country because the judge would quiz him on it before signing him off and letting him board the plane i am it's so impressive that you managed to pull the wool over this judge's eyes just like that it's crazy Then, once he was safely over in San Antonio, he spent hours rummaging through the missing kid's possessions to get a feel for who he was supposed to be, and collected pictures from drawers in an attempt to copy his mannerisms. Even though the family must have had a lot of doubts in those early days, Bourdon had one very important advantage. Desperation. His new mother, Beverly, and sister Carrie were so desperate to have the real Nicholas back that they were willing to overlook all of the suspicious things that didn't quite add up, like why their Nicholas had forgotten literally every detail of his own life, his accent, hobbies, and general identity. As long as Bodon kept to his convictions, they weren't going to call him out. Perhaps if he had just hunkered down behind their love and affection, he might have lasted longer. But Bourdain was an attention seeker to the core. That's why he agreed to that TV interview, despite the fact that people back in France might have seen him on the box multiple times in the past. Yeah, okay, there's the explanation. It's like, why on earth would you do this? It's like writing down your crimes. Don't have a documentary made about your crimes. We discussed it at length. 20 minutes ago so that's why because he's an attention seeker and he's broken a quiet life in a trailer park didn't offer enough opportunities for limelight like that for a man used to swinging from identity to identity the trailer room he shared with his nephew started to feel incredibly claustrophobic after a while suddenly his new identity started to feel like a poor fit even by this man-child standards yeah it's gotta be super weird being what a 24 year old man sleeping on the child sleeping on the floor of a child who is supposed to be your wait nephew or cousin oh fake nephew like well there's obviously some age thing there right because he's like 20. that's very confusing but all the same it's still weird plus all the shame and pressure of leeching off his new family's goodwill became too much to bear i was not used to being in someone else's family to live with them like i'm one of theirs i wasn't ready for it Eventually, the mask started slipping, which is how the PI Charlie Parker caught a massive Michael Jackson fan all his life, pulling those sick moves on the way to the bus stop. It was his way of being himself for just a little while, when he thought nobody was looking. As always happened, whenever the stress or boredom of his cons became too much, the Frenchman confessed. Parker was stunned to discover that this wasn't a terrorist infiltrator at all, but a lonely Peter Pan-type character who just refused to grow up. Honestly, I'd have preferred Al-Qaeda. Really, Callum? Al-Qaeda's not... uh, It's Al-Qaeda. No, this is just... This is just sad. I mean, it would be less sad if it was Al-Qaeda, but it would have potentially been a lot more devastating. After their meeting, Parker drove the imposter back to Beverly's San Antonio apartment. He had already spoken to his FBI contacts. Their DNA test revealed the exact same information the chameleon had just shared with him over pancakes and coffee. As he pulled away from the building, he watched Agent Fisher and her men put the putting the slippery reptile in cuffs. Frederick Bourdon was charged with perjury and illegally obtaining a U.S. passport. At first, they also entertained the idea that he might be some sort of foreign spy before realising he was actually just a run-of-the-mill creep that we've come to know, and perhaps pity. While in custody, Bourdon started trying to work his way into the FBI's good graces, the only way he knew how. A fresh torrent of bullshit. Ah, uh, the FBI, and get the feeling they're going to be more competent than the people you've run into before, Frederick first he said that he was a friend of nicholas back in spain and everything he said about the kidnapping conspiracy was actually true later he said that he knew the boy was dead then he just shut his mouth and said that he knew nothing about him at all initially the comedian was looking about three years behind bars for what he did but the judge overseeing his case decided that wasn't quite enough after all he hadn't just conned his way to a new life in the states he had done so by parasitically preying on the trauma of a grieving family yeah i know he did but this is I don't know, like, this is clearly bad and wrong, but. It's. He's just a. Uh, I don't. I do pity him. I think that's the problem. I definitely pity him. So I'm like, does he really deserve to go to prison for three years? But Dawn always loved to play the victim. Every time he was caught in one of his strange little performances, he said he was only ever motivated by the need to be loved or cared for. I don't love you anymore. Yeah, he's not conning anyone out of money. I feel like if there was money involved, it would be like, okay, well, he's clearly just, like, nefarious but he's just sad uh he was only ever motivated by the love uh, by to be loved and cared for something he never got in his childhood this justification just proves a narcissistic disregard for the people whose lives he's messing with sure does his pathological need for attention doesn't excuse the heartache he put Nicholas Barkley's family through so on account of that the judge doubled the recommended prison sentence and slapped Baudon with six years in a u.s federal prison that's karma chameleon what about nicholas now we could end things right there we've seen justice served for the man who twisted a family's grief to his own benefit but that would ignore the most important part of the case where the hell is the real nicholas i mean i think that the probable sad reality is that we don't know he's just one of many missing children and he's probably not alive anymore depressing Given how bizarre that little European intermission in the story was, the real tragedy at the heart of the case often falls by the wayside. Unfortunately, we still have no idea what happened to Nicholas back in 1991. It's possible that he really did run away from home for good that time. Or as his mother believed, he may have tried to hitch a ride home with a stranger. Nicholas was fearless and believed himself to be extremely street smart. But there is one final possibility which would explain some of the stranger parts of the story so far. Namely, why Beverly still wouldn't believe that her son was an imposter even when the P.I. and F.B.I. came knocking. Do we really buy the fact that she believed his lies to the bitter end? Perhaps there's another angle that we've yet to explore. It seems unlikely. I just think that she's distraught with grief and just was letting herself believe this lie that was being fed to her. And better to theorize on what really happened to Nicholas than the man who became him for a full four months. See, when the chameleon took on the identity of the American teenager, even he was surprised by how easy it turned out to be. For example, he didn't have to push Carrie to give him all that information about the family back at the Spanish youth home. She just kind of kept spoon-feeding him everything there's a quote they didn't believe a word that i said but they were good at not showing it i remember in spain carrie did everything for me when i didn't know something she told me she wanted to put it in my head so i would never forget if you ask me no she didn't believe for a second that i was her brother she decided that i was going to be her brother so do you think they knew that he was dead and they had something to do with it Seems unlikely. Then, once he was stateside, his new sister and mother seemed determined to fob it off any time he slipped up. No matter how many family members and friends raised concerns about his identity, they would defend him to the death. Most crucial was the strange matter of Jason, the brother who Nicholas called from the basketball courts the day he disappeared. Jason wasn't at the airport for the big reunion in October 1997. In fact, he didn't even come to visit his younger brother until six weeks later. He knows. He knows. He knows something happened to him. You'd expect that he, above all people, would be relieved to have him home, and even when he did visit, Bourdon said that his new big bro was very standoffish. There's a quote. When he came to see me, he didn't look at me like Nicholas. He didn't pretend to look at me like Nicholas. And he said, good luck to me, and left. As in, good luck keeping up that act for the next 70 years of your life, mon ami. But if Jason had already realized it was an imposter, why not say something? And if he didn't know, why was he being so cold after all those y- long, guilt-filled years knowing that he could have potentially prevented the disappearance? Something wasn't right. Something is definitely not right. That's why the chameleon got it into his head that he was actually part of some elaborate double bluff. Jason actually knew what happened to his younger brother and was letting the con man take his place so that nobody would ask any questions. I'm like, boy, if it's been three years and everything's just like quiet and some dude shows up, I'm going to be like, surely that's more alarm bells than just being like, it's been three years, no one's noticed anything. Hopefully it's all good. Rather than like, oh God, this imposter showed up. People are definitely going to start asking questions. And then when he goes on that TV show, he's going to, it's all going to fall down. Ay, ay, ay that would explain why jason filed that police report several months after the disappearance saying the missing boy returned briefly to break into the garage this is apparently quite a common thing killers and kidnappers will report fake sightings to create the illusion that their victims are still alive and well well that's dark and yeah dark Could it be that Jason, who we already know had a cocaine problem and temper issues, had accidentally killed his half-brother in a fit of rage? And if so, accidentally killed him in a fit of rage? Sounds a lot like murder. (laughs) And if so, were other members of the family complicit in some kind of cover-up? That's about as big of a bombshell as we've ever dropped on the show. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty intense, but it is just speculation. Alleged speculation entirely, right? And it would mean that when the sleazy Peter Pan con men called them from Spain, he offered the perfect opportunity for the ultimate cover-up. You can't have a murder case if the victim is actually alive and well. My Two Cents The absolute farce of the Bourdon case within a case actually led the FBI to treat the family with more suspicion. They struggled to find a motive for why the family would have allowed this stranger to weasel his way into their lives if not to cover up their own guilt but how much credit do we give that i mean if i had killed someone and the case was three years old and stone cold the last thing i'd want would be a statewide media frenzy on my doorstep exactly at that point that is not going to be good it's like it's been three years i mean i don't i don't know if there's a statute of limitations for murder but it's been three years no one's done anything you're probably going to be like let's just shut up and not talk about it again and, and when this happens like i say it's gonna be like way more intense i think there's a pretty obvious alternative explanation grief grief is a powerful thing the first stage of the grieving process is denial i think that if you haven't quite worked through the rest of the seven stages yet you might jump at the chance to go right back to that starting point to deny that the loss ever happened at all even if you knew in your heart of hearts it was a lie your subconscious might just run with it yeah the previous thing is just wild speculation and the only thing that kind of makes it seem a bit real is that the guy broke into the garage and and he reported it and i'm still like that's super unlikely to it's grief in my opinion it's definitely grief i don't think there's a grand conspiracy Look at it from Carrie's perspective. She was given money by her company to fly over to Spain, with the weight of her entire family's desperation on her shoulders. Even if her first thought was, it's not him, the conman's story gave her the chance to suspend her disbelief. After all, she would have desperately wanted to go back to her mother with the good news. The poor woman had relapsed into a heroin addiction big time after nicholas disappeared and as for jason the fbi actually interviewed him after the chameleon told him this his theory jason just told him that he knew instantly that this 24 year old frenchman was not his 16 year old brother which seems quite reasonable in retrospect i like to think i can tell the difference between my relatives and a full grown foreign man yes absolutely i mean the 13 to 16 thing is you know kids grow up a lot in that time but still (laughs) However, he didn't have the heart to burst his mother's bubble by breaking the illusion. It's kind of like an Emperor's New Clothes effect. When everybody around you buys into a lie, you might feel naturally compelled to go along with it. I honestly believe that Jason was still living with intense guilt and didn't want it to be the reason for Nicholas disappearing again. I mean, his own life also fell apart after his little brother disappeared. Back in '94, his mother kicked him out after he got caught assaulting a police officer. Kerry told The New Yorker that his uncle had been messed up by Jason pretty bad. He went on a bad drug binge and was shooting cocaine for a long time. After a stint in rehab in 1996, Jason managed to get himself clean and actually stayed on at the facility as a counselor for over a year. That's what he was doing at the time Bourdain stepped into his life. Perhaps it was the stress of revisiting all those old wounds or seeing his family torn to pieces all over again, which led to his final relapse. Jason died of a cocaine overdose just a few months after the chameleon was arrested. Those who believe he did accidentally kill Nicholas during a drug-dubbed episode, including the private investigator Parker, believe that it was suicide. But, on the flip side, if Jason really was innocent, then think of how tough it must have been to fight all those old feelings of guilt when the chameleon set the FBI on him. I guess for Bourdon, it's easier to cast the brother as the villain and the family as his potential accomplices than to accept the reality that he tore these poor people's hearts to pieces just because he was too pathetic to face up to his own sins. The Appeal and so all that's left is the most important part of all the appeal for information the real nicholas barkley is still out there somewhere hopefully alive and safe however remote that possibility might be whether he really did run away or was taken someone out there must have seen him at some point here's everything we know from the charlie project he went missing from San Antonio on the 10th of June 1994 but he wasn't reported missing until the 13th he was a small built 13 year old white boy with blue eyes light brown hair that looked almost blonde and a gap between his front teeth his height was four foot eight at the time of his disappearance and he weighed somewhere around 80 pounds on the day he went missing he was wearing a white t-shirt black shoes pink backpack and purple trousers perhaps most important to the homebrew tattoos the letter j on his left shoulder a t between his left thumb and forefinger and the letters l n on the outside of his left ankle and one last thing which could help identify him as an adult nicholas was also diagnosed with adhd Most people have lost any hope of a tidy resolution for this case, especially since 90% of the coverage focused around the fact a Continental con man jumped in to take the kid's place. But if the extra attention that little charade brought to the case were to be the thing that actually finally brought it to a close, maybe we'll even forgive the chameleon for his crime. Wrap Up actually no we won't forgive him the man is an awful awful human being after his six years was served he was deported back to france to continue his life of lies and manipulation unabated since then he's been wrapped up in countless more scandals impersonating orphans and other needy children well into his 30s dude what are you up to the idea that i could impersonate like a needy orphan in my 30s is insane. He's now 47 years old and living as a free man, enjoying the intention that being a notable criminal celebrity has brought him documentaries, interviews with The New Yorker, and the odd appearance on primetime TV. All in all, he claims to have taken on the identity of a staggering 500 people, mostly children, both fictional and real. But that's a story. For another time to wrap things up for today a quick psa with a man like that still on the loose how can the parents of the world know that their little ones haven't been swapped out for the chameleon well there are some telltale signs to look out for maybe your little one has suddenly started growing stubble and their hairline receded about eight inches overnight maybe they started doing spontaneous michael jackson moves when they think nobody's looking and using outdated 80s slang like radical and bodacious Maybe they've started calling you Maman or Papa or filling up their juice cartons with a fine Pinot Grigio. Or maybe you've just been finding unexpected baguettes around the house or croissants stuffed under the mattress. If any of that sounds like you, then I'm sorry, but your child is a fully grown Frenchman in disguise. Time to get on the blower to Interpol. Dismembered appendices. Number one, if you thought finally ending up in prison might have helped reform the chameleon's character, you were wrong. Well, we already know that. (laughs) You just told us that he turned out to be a piece of human, allegedly. In fact, he kept up his nonsense from behind bars, making hundreds. Oh, well, you mean while he was in prison, making hundreds of collect calls to authorities, claiming that he had information about active missing persons cases. Again, I cannot stress enough how low this guy would go for just another five minutes of fame. (laughs) This is really terrible. Number two. If you really want to run with Bourdon's murder theory, then there are a few last things you should know. For one, teachers at Nicholas's school had made reports in the past of bruises on his body, including that he must have, that he might have been beaten at home. And when the FBI made Beverly take three polygraph tests, she passed the first two and botched the third. Adrian Fisher thinks that might have been because she was only sober for the last one. But honestly, after everything I've read about polygraphs, I place them a couple of notches above astrology. Yeah, polygraphs. Wasn't there something and it was like, yeah, they turn out to be 50% effective. So it's like, they're no, no better than just guessing. Polygraphs are nonsense. They shouldn't be considered for honestly anything. This has been an episode of the Casual Criminalist. I do hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> Why am I saying this? A kid died, it was horrible. But it was uh, an interesting episode though. I, I hope you found it interesting. If you did, please, if you're listening to this as a podcast, please do leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much. If you're watching on YouTube, hello there. Please click that like button below. Make sure you're subscribed. But most of all, if you're enjoying The Casual Criminalist, why not tell a friend? Click that share button. Or, you know, if you actually see someone in person and be like, I've got, I listened to a brilliant podcast. It's, you know, check it out. But uh, do people get recommended stuff that way anymore? I don't think so. Thank you for listening or watching. And we're back real soon with another episode. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death